Well, uh, my name is Owen Higgins. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. It is currently, if you're listening live, it is election night. It's around 9.30 p.m. Um, if you're listening on replay, as uh, most of you likely will be, uh, this is going to be kind of a snapshot moment of uh, the election night as it's going. Uh, it's been interesting to say the say the least. It hasn't been quite the uh, complete shutdown that was expected. Uh, not quite the the complete uh, GOP landslide that people were predicting. It's been a little bit more measured, a little bit more of a nuance. The um, needle here on New York Times right now at 9.31 p.m. Uh, says the House is leaning Republican and the Senate is still a toss-up. Uh, we're looking, I'd say, mostly at North Carolina, Georgia, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Ohio for the uh, the results here for Senate. And then um, House House does seem like we're uh, that that is probably going to be uh, just kind of moved over here uh, to the to the GOP. Although anything is possible, I guess. Uh, so to talk about this, uh, I am joined by Brian Conlon. Um I think we're going to be joined by Douglas as well later, right? Uh, but I'm not. But he's he's not here yet. So. Brian, how's it going today? And and uh, George, I see you in the call queue. We'll get to you in a couple minutes. I'm fucking tired. Yeah, you're tired. So t- why don't you tell everybody what you've been doing uh, today? I have been canvassing. Um, so I've been working uh, for the North Carolina AFL-CIO on this election because there's a um, – obviously the, the Senate race is an extremely crucial Senate race. Um, and Beasley – is probably the best Senate candidate that uh, the Democrats have run since, like, I would say 2010, um, when Elaine Marshall was the, the candidate of choice and then hung out to dry because she wasn't the anointed DSCC candidate. Uh, but Beasley um, is a former union member, uh, former public defender, was a very good vote on the North Carolina State Supreme Court, and she wa- she lost um, a state Supreme Court race in 2020 extremely narrowly um, to uh, Phil Berger Jr., who is the fail son of the current uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader in the North Carolina General Assembly. So Beasley has some very solid positions. Uh, she's for uh, marijuana legalization, came out about that in in the debate. Um, and so I definitely have my fingers crossed. We've been knocking doors. I've specifically been based in the triangle um, and knocking doors um, to, to try to get union members out to vote. Um, there's not a ton of union members in, in, in North Carolina in the triangle, but there's there's enough. Uh, to make a difference. Um, another race to watch in North Carolina on a federal level is the uh, 13th district um, in the House, uh, Wiley Nickel versus Bo Hines. Bo Hines is basically another Madison Cawthorn with maybe a little more personal restraint. Uh, Nickel is uh, a decent-ish 
Democrat. Um, and right now he's up 53 to 46 with 40 precincts reporting out of 129. Um, so things could still go sideways. Um, it's possible for him to lose, but he's, he's looking in good shape. Um, one thing I will flag, I will tell you, I would argue that the Senate race isn't even the most important race that's happening in North Carolina. There's uh, two statewide races that are taking place right now, um, and it's for uh, the state Supreme Court. Um, right now, Trey Allen and Richard Dietz, of, uh, who are both uh, GOP types, are currently uh, leading Lucy Inman and Sam Irvin IV, um, who are the Democratic uh, candidates. And if they win, and it's looking increasingly bad at the moment, um, uh, things are going to be real bad come 2024. Um, well, you because... know, uh, you know I, I think, uh, you know, know a little bit to get to callers, but um, uh, George Pierce, uh people will know him, uh, economic analyst, analyst uh, he has appeared on the show before he's in the call queue he's also in north carolina so i just want yeah, to get no him into the conversation here uh george uh gonna take you now you're all set to go whenever you you want to join uh, i just wanted to maybe you and brian want to chat a little bit about this both being there at the, at the moment hey brian uh nice to meet you uh yeah so i'm in i'm in charlotte um i think i mean i think statewide beasley's not gonna get it done i think the shifts that we're seeing from places from the kinds of completed uh votes just are too big towards bud and i i i mean it's going to be a close race and there's still a fair number of votes out in the big counties but i i just i don't think she's going to do it um i am i do think though that um nickel will run he's currently up right now uh what twenty-seven thousand votes or sorry seventeen thousand votes with about 60 percent in um you know you expect uh, Heinz to pick up election day votes, but um, I, I don't think there's enough votes out for Heinz to claw back. So that's good news, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not a great picture in North Carolina. I do think also we're going to avoid uh, NCGA supermajority, which is huge for abortion rights in North Carolina. Massive. Yeah. And and plus, uh, I mean, the, the concern I've got, is, and, and especially with like really more than anything else, the Supreme Court justice races are the ones that that are going to give me sleep, sleepless nights moving forward because um, there was, for those who aren't in North Carolina, there was a massive um, lawsuit called Leandro 2 that just got decided um, along with a constitutional ban on gerrymandering in the state constitution. Um, both went in front of the state Supreme Court this last term. Both came out very positive uh, for people and uh yeah, high likelihood if if Allen and Dietz are on the state Supreme Court, uh, those will get gutted, if not outright reversed. Um, and so and obviously come 2024, there's all kinds of shit that's coming down the pipe. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I'm trying not to be too narrow focused. I'm, I'm trying to catch up with some of the other uh, results uh, um, nationwide, but. Yeah, let's let's just have George jump back in here for a sec, George, if you want to, just to talk a little bit about about North Carolina from your from your perspective. Um, I know that 
like you and Brian are probably going to be coming at this from slightly different angles, just from like what you both are interested in and what you both like do for activism. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about like what what your hopes are for not only for like the outcome here, like best case scenario, but also you know maybe for uh, kind of going forward, like you know Brian was talking about, like heading to twenty twenty four. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina is such a weird state in so many ways. It's it's probably the most hostile. I mean, I'm I'm preaching the choir for Brian here, I'm sure, but it's probably the single most hostile state in the union to uh, labor organizing. Um, it's got a, um, you know, if you adjust for partisan tilt, for sure, um, it, it's you know got a history of moderation, and I I mean, really, it truly does have a history of moderation. Uh, but its electorate doesn't tend to, uh, there's a bit of a frog in the boiling water syndrome. The NC uh, GOP has shifted so far to the right um, and at a time when the state has seen huge net in migration that, you know, th there hasn't been this sort of um, organizing against um, and, and further tilt towards Democrats that you've seen in places like Arizona, for instance. Um, I mean, I think North Carolina kind of has the same syndrome of Texas as, you know, national voices kind of looking like, oh, is it, when's it going to flip blue? When's it going to flip blue? And I think it will eventually. It's just taking a little longer because ancestral Dems outside of the major cities are, are just continuing to vote um, at higher and higher margins for the, for the Republicans. And, you know, eventually they'll run out of demographics to do that um, as inflows from that are relatively well-educated and higher income into big urban areas to sort of, you know, offset that. But we just haven't hit that tipping point yet. And um, the result is going to be another Republican senator in North Carolina, I think, and as well as a, a flipped Supreme Court, I'm, I'm reasonably sure. Yeah, sorry to sorry to cut you off with the laugh. Yeah, I've, I've kind of lived that for the past 10 years uh, as far as the hostility to union organizing. Doesn't make it impossible, but it is tough. I think one of the things that's really crucial, though, is and this is, I think, a malady that's shared by a lot of Southern Democratic parties, is the opposition to the Republicans has increasingly been, uh, shall we say, outsourced to other groups. So thinking very specifically, and, and this was a dynamic that you noticed very early on in like 2013, 2014, specifically coalescing around the North Carolina NAACP uh, with the Moral Mondays effort and and all that, like the Democrats were extremely loath to fully embrace that on a statewide level. And I think it's it's led to a significant hindrance um, of the party uh, moving forward. There's also the concern too, like, you know, one of the, the, the victories tonight is in the fourth district, right? Um, where uh, Valerie Fushi, who's a well-established, um, is a well-established sort of progressive-ish Democrat, and but she won the primary in in the spring because um, a crypto dork who just lost basically all of his fortune, um, literally like yesterday, um, dumped a ton of money in the race to push out. Uh, a solid progressive named Nita Allum, who's on the Durham County Commission. Read my article um, about this in The Intercept. Yes. So, I mean, there's a there's a really big issue where where you have like the North Carolina Democrats being extremely gun shy 
about embracing anything that might be even remotely controversial and running relatively safe people. And then when somebody who might actually upset the apple cart gets in, eh, well, uh, we'll make sure that doesn't, you know, stick around, you know? So I'm, I'm not what you would call optimistic here, but I, I will say, um, like it's it I this is not as bad of a night as I thought it could be. I was I was fearing like a couple more of the the house races going the wrong way, but on a on a macro level, Beasley losing, the Supreme Court justice is losing. Uh definitely not something I'm particularly happy about. Yeah, definitely. Um I, I think let's uh try to expand the scope here. Uh uh, nationally, I know. I, I think Alex is going to be coming back. She was just in queue, um, mm-hmm. and and George, if you want to hang out, uh, we'll, we'll 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 take you again in a couple of minutes here. Um, but wanted to kind of look at the uh, the national outlook as well. Uh, we're not going to be able to get as kind of uh, like minute and and detailed into all the state races and everything. But like I said, uh, at at the lead uh, for the show. We have the House leaning Republican in the Senate with a toss-up, uh, and, and I'm relying on this cursed uh, New York Times needle thing, but it is kind of helpful to kind of visualize it, with a slight lean uh, towards the GOP. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as uh, for you, Brian, what you're thinking as you're watching the results come in, because, you know, one, one thing that's really important is that it is not this landslide uh, election that people were talking about, like, uh, you know, I don't know, like 10 hours ago, like 10 hours ago, people were like talking about this, like it was going to be like an absolute, like uh, uh destruction shit show. And now it looks like, well, maybe it's going to be like a little bit more balanced. Um, what do you think when you're looking at this stuff? I know that we were just talking about Charlie Crist uh, losing, which is, I guess, the one silver lining to DeSantis winning. Um, what's, what's your, what's your kind of take on, on the, on the election uh, results so far? Yeah, I mean, Florida basically a lot of a lot of the problems that Florida's got are are you know intractable. Like a lot of it is is the North the the Florida Democrats are following like sort of the the hollowing out politically um, that they've had for quite some time, and I think it's it's hurting them down ballot. The places where they're doing well is people who are able to effectively harness um sort of the movement energy right and so like maxwell frost for instance won his uh his uh senate rate his uh, house race um who else um last cycle richie floyd on a local level um is is on um god i'm fried i forgot i think it's st petersburg city council um, and is doing a lot of really good things there. Um, it's, it's like, obviously taking a look at like, uh, secretary of state results are going to be really important, uh, considering the attempts by the GOP to essentially overturn, uh, free and fair elections in the country. But, uh, yeah, I mean, things are looking positive in Michigan from, from what I'm seeing on CNN. Um, Things but, like what 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 from Michigan? Positive. Um, positive the, yeah. the 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 Secretary of State candidate is leading. Um, 
Um, it's, it's, it's looking pretty red to me, though, like looking at yeah. one of these maps. But you never know. I mean, thing is that, that a lot of these, like, lean and don't lean. Like, and, and, again, like, if you're listening on replay, like, right now, so now it's, like, 945, right? So um, 947, technically. But, yeah. uh, you know, we're looking at this stuff, and, and you're seeing, like, you know, like the, the, the color makeup, and you're seeing how, how this stuff is landing in. Uh, but it, you know, if you like click over it, it's like, you know, 30% reporting, 20% reporting. It's not really quite, uh, there yet. And again, it's all projections, but so far really like the only blue parts of the map really look like, uh, New England and Eastern New York down in New York city, New Jersey, and then, uh, Colorado and New Mexico. Everything else is pretty red. I suppose that's kind of what you would expect though. Like, like that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really mean anything for, for population. That's just for land, of course. So don't need to, like, go into that whole thing. But, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, so far it's uh, Dems have lost three and the GOP have gained two. I don't know how that exactly works. Uh, but uh, it's 47 to 82 in the House. And then over in, in the Senate, um it's thirty nine forty. I don't think anybody's lost anything yet. So it's it's like Wisconsin looks like it could be flipped, but there's only thirty one percent, you know, in. Same with Iowa, but like you know, and Pennsylvania. But again, yeah. like it's 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 so early right now, like it's really hard to tell. And yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. You're hearing. I've heard like just. I've heard people say like there's there's pretty massive turnout in in, in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. If that's the case, like. That might be enough to drop Johnson right off the bat, right? But, you know, again, like, this is just a continuation of larger trends. Like, every, it seems like every single election now seems to be um, a base turnout election. And um, with the way things are going, um, like, I think this is going to be, like, there's going to have to be a, a, a push within the Democrats against the kind of moderation that seems to be very predominant within the top echelon of leadership where they're really loath to throw any punches. I mean, I'm looking right now, obviously it's only got 32% in, um, in Pennsylvania, but Fetterman's up 10 points. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously this is way early, but one of the things I saw too is like exit polls, something like 55% of the people who answered the exit poll questions were, were saying, yeah, um, Oz hasn't lived in, in in Pennsylvania long enough to adequately represent the state, which obviously is an extremely positive sign for Fetterman. Um, also a sign that that attack worked, because I wasn't really sure if it was going to stick, but they did. I mean, they were hammering it a lot, but I wasn't sure if that one was actually going to work. If people were citing that as a reason uh, to vote for uh, for for Fetterman, then, then that does show that that, that that strategy was, was effective. I wasn't sure if it was going to be, but if people were talking about, definitely it has been. It also helps that, that Oz kept fucking up, right? Like he said, you know, go out tomorrow and, and get three people to vote for me um, before the Steelers game. And the Steelers had a fucking bye week. I mean, like this, like he was, he was very clearly a bad candidate in every single possible way. And um, it looks like that might have caught up to him, right? Like he's down by 200,000 votes. Um, but again, it's only 35% in 
and and God knows what's going to happen. And and it, and it looks like the Philly vote count's going to be a shit show because the the right wing basically sued to force a more onerous uh, counting method. And in so doing, they're going to hold up the delays on the counts in Philly as examples of of, of election fraud. Yeah. So, so this, is, this is this this is this is something I want to talk about too. Um, and, uh, and 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 George, thanks for hanging out. We'll 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 come back to you in a couple minutes here. But um, so th- there's been a lot, and I don't know what this is going to look like when when a lot of you are listening to this, right? I don't know what this is going to look like tomorrow, uh, or you know later on this week, but. Uh, during during the day today, you saw you know uh, right wing figures and right wing affiliated figures. Um, we're going to pick on him because he's an idiot. Uh, Matt Taibbi was one of these guys, you know, talking about how like you know this has never happened before with like this slow vote counting. This is you know this is like a whole new thing, and and what's going on with this? And uh, but the thing is like that there is like a slight element of truth in this, in that uh, there is going to be. A, uh, a a delay in some of the counts, like you're saying, like in Philadelphia, and but it is like completely manufactured. It's been it's been created uh, so that this will happen, so that there will be reasons to to uh, downplay what's going on, so that people will have reasons to doubt the actual outcome of uh, of the vote here. And I think that it's just like it, it, it's it's just such a dishonest way of approaching this stuff um for like all of these guys and and but what it's going to do is that like you know even even if it's something like uh you have um it, you have like oz um who's who looks like he's going to lose but if he does kind of like pull up even and then like all these philadelphia votes come in he gets absolutely slammed to death well like figuratively um then uh you know, I, I think that a lot of people are just going to be like, well, you know, like this is a perfect example of, of, of like this voter fraud, like the fact that we can't trust these elections. And like really like these like this is a manufactured thing, uh, but it has been pretty effective so far. Like it, it, it looks like they're, they're just trying to cast doubt on it as much as possible. Um, what's your take? Am I being too paranoid here? What do you think? No, I mean, it's 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 basically there's a very similar a precedent from like the 2016 election in North Carolina, where um, the incumbent governor, Pat McCrory, uh, attempted to essentially steal the election um, by trying to cast doubt on the vote count and in so doing force it to go to the General Assembly, which would then elect him because it's held by the Republicans. Um, but like, again, the whole point is to delegitimize the process. Like, this is how the Republicans operate. This is how the GOP operates. It's how they've always operated. And it's and it's going to create absolute fucking havoc and chaos as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's just gonna continue to um to 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 delegitimize the uh the entire democratic process, like you're saying, in the eyes of the public. And but that like the, like is part of a long a longer game. Um I want to welcome uh, Douglas to the chat here. Douglas, if you want to introduce yourself uh, to everybody, let them know. Just do, hit the little unmute button down there on the bottom left. And you should be good. Little mic. There we go. How's it going? 
Fantastic. How about y'all? Oh, we're doing well. We're doing well. You want to introduce yourself um, and uh, and talk about your uh, your connection with uh, with Brian here, um, South Lawn. Uh, definitely uh, an influential <laughs> blog for, for 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 when uh, when you guys were were updating regularly and um, and uh, have definitely enjoyed uh, talking with you over the years. But uh, yeah, why don't you let everybody know who you are? So my name is Douglas Williams. Uh, I am a labor educator uh, based in Maryland. Uh, for the last week, though, I have uh, returned to my second home, Minnesota, uh, to do work on the governor's race up here and uh, sort of like labor endorsed candidates. So, you know, uh, feeling pretty good about tonight. Um, I think, I think Governor Walls, uh, if anyone, you know, so the thing about me is that I'm very big on jokes that only like three people will get, right? So, uh, I'm class huggle on Twitter. Um, my, my, Username on there. So the 1982 Milwaukee Brewers were known as uh, Harvey's Wall Bangers. So on Twitter, I am Timmy's Walls Bangers, which of course you would have to be a Minnesota resident and somehow a Milwaukee Brewers fan to figure that out. So I'm sure I've made one and a half people laugh out there. Uh, yeah, that's that's a very that's a very very specific. Uh, <laughs> Douglas, Douglas, you, you know what happens? Uh, uh, you know how explaining a joke is like an autopsy. I, listen, I fully went into my explanation knowing that the joke was going to be murdered. But let's be honest; it's only through election day. My Twitter hand, my screen name will be something else tomorrow. So. But no, as far as Minnesota, uh, I feel pretty good um, about the governor's race. I feel good about, I mean, the secretary of state here is like the most popular statewide official. Uh, everybody loves Steve Simon, so I'm not really worried about him at all. He'll probably top the voter, like the number of ballots here tonight. Um not really worried about our state auditor's race. I mean, I've known Julie for, at this point, I, mean, I was first elected to, like, our state central committees back in 04. So I've known her for close to 20 years now. Um, not really worried about, the only one I'm worried about, unfortunately, uh, is is Keith Ellison. Um, yeah, I was about to ask you that. You know, it's... Look, man. Um, I think... Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm drinking perhaps the best of all the diet sodas, uh, Sunkiss Zero Sugar. Uh, so you'll have to excuse me. Uh, look... Here's the thing about Keith Ellison, okay? Doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound like this is going to be a good thing. I think Keith Ellison 
is one of the most uh, progressive attorney generals in the country. Um, I think he uh, has led the way in a lot of things, including actual consequences for police brutality. And much like most other states, uh, I mean, I would say like the most pronounced urban-rural divide in any state I've ever lived in was Michigan, right? Like, like outstate Michigan politicians absolutely loathe Detroit, right? And they will do whatever they can to undermine, like, governance in the city of Detroit. Now, in Minnesota, it is not as pronounced, the rural-urban divide, but it is there, and it has considerably widened in the wake of the George Floyd uprising in Minneapolis in 2020, right? It's so... You know, um, they're basically, you know, you have most of the ads against Keith Ellison are like, you know, ads of the uprising, right? And what's, what's sad to me is that the issue of police brutality, I mean, maybe not as much, but white folks get shot by the police too. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like, I think if you talk to 100 people and you ask them, has your, what, what uh, hold on, yes. Woo! Maryland just passed question four. Doug's about, as soon as he gets back to Maryland, he's about to get his highest giraffe pussy. Oh, nice. Makes so, you so that's, cold. So, First off, that's happening tonight. First off. <laughs> Second off. Um, so, they, so they legalize weed. Yep. It will, become, it will become legal in the state of Maryland as of July 1st of 23. Nice. So what happens, actually, what, what happens in between there? Do they just kind of decriminalize it? In the meantime, I am, I imagine that when the general assembly opens up, they will decriminalize um in the lead up to uh legalization, full legalization and of course, I mean they'll need to come up with rules and the structure of life where the uh where the dispensary is going to be, like rules for that, but you know, yeah, so I just think with Keith Allison, just getting back to that really quickly, I think right. that um, <sighs> police brutality is an issue that affects everybody. It affects people of color more pronounced, right? Like, and there's no denying that. But I think, like I said, if you ask 100 people, your last interaction with a cop, was that a good thing, positive thing, negative thing? I think 95% of people will say, no, it was fucking terrible, right? But yeah, 
again, it's not just about structure. It's about superstructure. It's about culture and breaking, making the culture line up with the reality is something that's going to be much more difficult than just passing some laws here or there. Right. And so I think that's what you've seen in Minnesota when it comes to the attorney general's race. Every ad shows Minneapolis burning. You know, it's like rising crime. It's, you know, this, that, and the third. And, you know, I don't know, Jim Schultz, maybe some of those 37 sheriffs who have endorsed your campaign, apparently. What have they been doing for the last four years? Yeah, it looks, I mean, it looks like, right, well, actually, no, it doesn't look like anything. Less than 1% of votes are in. Uh, and, and Schultz is winning, but that means nothing. Um uh, it, it, it's it's funny. So, like I was saying at, at the top, Douglas, you missed this, but I was just saying at the top of the show, like because we're airing live, and, and a lot of people will be listening to this after the fact. Um, so it's now like ten oh three, and when we first started, you know, I, I was looking at Ohio, and Ohio looked, you know, like it was like you know, like it, it, it was the the governor's race was going to be won by the Republican. It wasn't quite quite clear if. Uh, if J.D. Vance's just general off-puttingness was going to be enough to switch it, but um, it looks like uh, Vance is going to win probably pretty handily over Tim Ryan. He has a uh, uh, 53.2 to 46.8% lead, um, and he he looks like he's going to take that. Not not that this was you know uh, particularly a huge surprise. But uh, but but another example, and uh, Pennsylvania's tightened up a little bit with Fetterman now 51 to Oz's uh, 47. But again, uh, like Brian was saying, uh, you know the, the the count there, and especially in Philadelphia, is going to be late. I would I would say that the money is probably on Fetterman right now. Uh, now here's now here's what I will say about Ohio. Yeah, because uh, I'm looking at Ohio right now. Um, so a lot of these counties that are heavy for uh, J.D. Vance, right, uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, the counties in the southeast part of the state, like along the uh, along the uh, West Virginia yeah. border, um, the counties bordering Indiana on the western side of the state. You know, if you look at these <clears throat> returns, I'm looking at the uh, county by county sort of uh, what are the numbers, you know, so a place like Delaware County, Ohio, that's uh, North Columbus suburbs, um, J.D. Vance is winning there 53-47 but also has 93% of votes in uh, down at Gala Police, uh, Rio Grande, these places down along the West Virginia border. A lot of these places have 95 plus percent reporting. Cincinnati, though, 66-34, Tim Ryan over J.D. Vance, Hamilton County, only 43% in. Franklin County. Nearly 70 to 30, Ryan over Vance, only 61%. Uh, Cuyahoga's, which is obviously Cleveland, 70 30, and only 51% in. Even Toledo, uh, Lucas County, 72 28, with only 33% in. Now, 
is that going to be enough to swing the state uh, Tim Ryan's way? I don't know, but I think it'll end up being a lot closer than what it is now. Probably due to, again, uh, J.D. Vance just being an incredibly off-putting and, and unlikable person. Uh, Extremely. Just, just, and, just really just a, just a dirtbag slimeball. Yeah. And, to, I mean, Elizabeth Cat read him for filth in long form years ago. And, it, yeah, his, his book sucks. He sucks. Anybody associated with Peter Thiel sucks. So, it, it, as far as... Uh, news that is unsurprising uh robert o'rourke um has managed to hit the hat trick of of losing a senate campaign a presidential campaign and a gubernatorial campaign um in texas um tonight i think i think the interesting thing about beto that 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 i'll be interested because i did some reporting on this um last year is that uh, his his campaigns have been pretty much like doomed, like all of them. Like he like he's just not he, he just is is not able to have the the type of appeal that is enough to overcome just the GOP, right? It, it, like in general, but he does have a bit of a drift factor where uh, some you know it's, some people can kind of kind of like state, statewide officials or. Or others can kind of uh, kind of drift after him. I don't think that we're going to see like any like flips from red to blue on the state side, but we might see uh, some people holding on uh, mm-hmm. because of his campaign. If his campaign uh, this time was doing the same kind of hardcore uh, door knocking and get out the vote stuff that they that, yes. they, that they were last time. Um, Someone hit the calf cramp lady with some smelling salts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like uh, that is an all time. All-time all time terrible tweet. Yeah. All-time all-time amazing tweet. It's yeah. I, I mean, time. I mean, there's a, there's another dynamic, and, and Doug and I talked about this before he was he was uh, exiled to the Upper Midwest um, from the sunny shores of Maryland. Um, he, um, the Dems really, really, really need to get their hands around this trend of people putting in for like absurd vanity candidacies against people like Marjorie Taylor Green uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green yeah. and sucking down millions of dollars that could otherwise be reallocated to down ballot races. Um, yeah, like that like that woman who who went up against McConnell. Oh yeah, you know, That's I mean like a perfect example, but like perfect like, example. Many, I mean looking at like like looking at the the Senate, right? Um where is, uh, I think, uh, um, I'm having a brain fart. Um, which one are you talking about? Oh, Booker. Um, he was, he was almost certainly going to be, I don't think he would have beaten McConnell because McConnell is a, a very absolutely ruthless political operator in ways that Tom Daschle was not. Um, so I think a, a, any kind of of decapitation of Republican leadership in 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 Congress is extremely unlikely at this juncture between gerrymandering and whatnot. But like, if you don't start getting these vanity candidacies 
in line. Like, I, I mean, I think one of the big consultants behind the one against uh, Green was fucking um, Adam Parcomento, right? Absolute scam artist, grifter, just like total dirtball. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. millions awful, of awful, awful dude. Like, millions like, of millions there, sorry, of dollars. Like, like he's up there with like Scott Dworkin, like these guys who, who like. The, the, they basically exist uh, for anybody who who is fortunate enough, like not to know who these fucking people are. Like they, what they do is they they just they sell gullible uh, liberals on the idea that they can possibly beat candidates who are impossible to beat. Like like they can't do it. Like it's just not like. Or I mean, maybe you could, but like not with. That's not what these guys are even trying to do. They're not even trying to. Uh, to beat these guys what all they're trying to do is just like uh funnel money suck money down and then just like you know uh kind of fart out like somebody who's going to lose by 20 points so like you were saying like to marjorie taylor green uh like you know like this woman uh whose name i can't even remember because like she was so inconsequential against mitch mcconnell um there are just so many of these candidates and like you're saying yeah they're all vanity campaigns sorry go ahead i just wanted to just vent how much i can't <coughs> stand that guy Doug, who was the one that ran against McConnell? Um, uh, are you talking about uh, Amy McGrath? McGrath, yeah, that's, yes. that's who it is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but here's the thing, right? I looked it up. So the reason he brings this up is because, you know, I looked it up. I believe it was shortly before I came to Minnesota. Marcus Flowers, Democrat that ran against... That, that, that ran against um, Marjorie Taylor Greene raised over $15 million. $15 million. Do you oh, want to know? Do you want to know what the outcome in that race is right now? Now, listen, it's only 80% of the votes in. Okay. It's only 80% of the votes in. Marjorie Taylor Greene has 162,754 votes. Marcus Flowers, with $15 million, has 81,111 votes. This isn't, this isn't like, it's not a close election. It's not even like a spanking. It's like, it's like Thanos deciding that you're, that he just, he snapped Marjorie Taylor Greene snapped her fingers, and Marcus Flowers doesn't exist in this world anymore. That's how bad he got housed tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what could any number of candidates for political office on the Democratic side that are going to lose tonight in very close races, what could they have done with even a sliver of that fifteen million dollars? I mean, this is this is where if there were fun, if, if if the Democratic Party was something other than just a funnel for money, right, to campaign consultants, like you'd have party leaders like sit down and have a very polite conversation with the people running and say, like, look. There's absolutely no fucking way you're going to want run here. However, people really hate Marjorie Taylor Greene. So here's what we're going to do. The only fundraising you do is joint fundraising. 
Like, this is literally the only way you can, like, donate money to this campaign is basically you agree to split the fundraising, like, six ways with these really crucial races that we need to win. So that that, so, so that this vanity candidacy split six ways, you still would have had a couple million dollars, but then it would have, then it would have scattered to another, it would have been like two million dollars per race, right? And how much, how much more likely do you think they would have won? Like, and if they refuse to do that, that's basically when, you know, you hypothetically have somebody break their ankles with a, a, a tire iron, right? Like, there's, there's absolutely no justification for this. And I get where people are, I, like, I get why people really fucking hate these candidates. Green is, is, is terrifying. Like, genuinely terrifying as a political figure. But, like, she had, like, there was never going to be a, like, there was never going to be a way that she fucking loses that race. So why would you fire hose that much money into a dead end so that the only people who really profit are somebody like Adam Parcomento? You know, there's, 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 there's another part of this, um, I think that, that is and real is quick, real quick. I, I want to, yeah. uh, let me, let me just read, let me just read what Ian homie Ian Boudreau said. The DNC is a nonprofit organization that helps find homes for DNC lanyard wearers who have tragically been denied six figure salaries. Yeah. And I mean, listen, right. I mean, well, well let, let me, let me, sorry. Let, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let me let me just say this one thing, which is that uh, the other kind of element to this that makes me like go insane over it is that Flowers, McGrath, uh, there have been like a ton of candidates like this who are these military veterans. They're conservative, uh, but they're also Democrats, and like that's supposed to be the appeal. But this is like, like, like this is like uh, uh, 2006 shit, you know. Like this is not like now, and and but they're all still stuck in this kind of mentality that like that's like that people are going to like care about that. That somebody who's like a lean Republican voter is going to give a shit if the Democrat is a veteran. Like not only has that like never really worked, but it's definitely not going to work now uh, <laughs> when, when things are like this partisan. And and so it's just like. It, it, it just happens like every single time they, they trot out these kind of milk toast like um, moderate moderate right wing veterans who just have nothing really to add and 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 just inevitably lose. And part of the reason, I think, is because they're still looking at things with the mentality of like, oh, well, we're still in like 2006. So sorry. Well, go ahead. well I think that. Uh, yes, right? Like, there's no other reason to ever put James Carville in front of a, like, camera or on, like, a newspaper editorial again unless you are operating from the thought that we're in the middle of Bush's second term. Because the political calculations from then just don't apply now. You actually had, I mean, look, I talk about this in my, like in the classes I teach at my job on government and politics. I'm teaching another one next week, right? Like I tell people 30 years ago, you had the Democrats Venn diagram. You had the Republicans Venn diagram. 
And you had some overlap there, right? You had liberal-ish, like, pro-labor Republicans, and you had, you know, conservative, anti-labor, or anti-choice, or what have you, Democrats. But now... I mean, the, the the Venn diagram is now just a drawing of two circles, right? It's, we're not in that same space. So when Democrats decide to run these candidates that hew so closely to the middle, all that you're doing is depressing your own turnout. Like, who wants to go out, particularly like somewhere in the upper Midwest, right? It's cold. It rained most of the day here in Minnesota. Do you really want to go out and stand in a line to vote for that candidate that might do what I want to do, eh, you know, like 60% of the time, but the other 40% of the time... They're going to pretend like they're kind of like a light version of the other party, right? Republicans run absolutely batshit crazy people, right? But I tell you what, I tell you what, those folks are 1,000% dedicated to their candidate. They're going to lose in some of these places, as we saw in Georgia, you know, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, sometimes they win, right? But what the Republicans understand that Democrats do not is that this process is iterative, right? It's it's a sort of, okay, so we didn't win this time, but we're going to chip away at it, right? Until we get to a point where... Democrats will never win in these areas ever again. I will point you simply to Minnesota's 8th Congressional District, a congressional district held by Jim Oberstar for 36 years and John Blotnick before him for decades as well. Now, Iron Range, uh, Miners, uh, like Longshore, stuff like that. This district was like the core of labor in the state of Minnesota, right? So in Minnesota, our party is called the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. The 8th Congressional District was like basically the L of the DFL. Uh... I believe that the Republican, the now Republican congressperson from the 8th Congressional District, it's not even going to be close. It's not even going to be close. That's like profoundly sad to me, right? But it's, this is where Republicans are good at the game that Democrats refuse to play, which is that this guy's going to be every bit as conservative as anything, right? But because we have run these candidates and chipped away by just tossing out red meat on the issues that people 
if you get them talking that they care about, and now you're in a position where you have a district that was DFL for decades that's now a solid Republican lock. So what I hope is that the era of the moderate Democratic candidate will be ending pretty soon because, to be frank, it's a loser for the Democratic Party. But, you know, when you have a bunch of, bunch of octogenarians running the party, I mean, maybe not, right? Oh, no, no. I'm sure, I'm sure you know, uh, bright minds like Sean McElwee and fucking David Shore are, are, are going to lead us into a brighter future here, right? But this is the thing, like they, like they just got every like th- like those two dudes specifically. They just got everything that they wanted. Like this is like this is the election that's being run the way that they wanted it to be run. Oh yeah. And what's yeah. happening? You I mean, I mean, like it, it's just like. I mean, as it is, uh, like midterms historically, right? Like first midterm of any presidency, it's usually like it doesn't necessarily go well for the incumbent president, right? I mean, this if this is how bad is it if 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 patterns hold right we might be looking at another 50 50 senate i mean right now right now barnes is ahead in wisconsin and and uh warnock is is trailing in georgia so the republicans needed to flip one seat and if that happens they aren't flipping like they aren't flipping a single seat. So there's a good chance that that the Senate remains in control of the Democrats. And so this wasn't the big sort of grand punishment from God handed down uh, to Biden's horrid, you know, you know, godless communist agenda. Right. Um, like, I think the other thing that's interesting is, is that. Abrams in Georgia is running like eight points behind, um, like is 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 underperforming uh, Warnock rather heavily. Like yeah yeah she well she has been in the polling the entire time though I mean like yeah. this is not like like it's not like, it, it's not a surprise that this is happening I, I'm not I mean I'm curious as to why though I, I suspect a lot of it has to do with the fact that Warnock is uh, is both a is a very solid candidate and was largely responsible for, for Ossoff's victory in Georgia. Um, and, and Walker is, is just an absolutely horrible candidate. Right. I mean, and, and Kemp has kept his head down and his nose clean for the most part and hasn't drawn the kind of ire that other Republican governors have. So it's, it's tough to say, I think, I think to some extent you're you're seeing like this is sort of like the the guttering fucking death rattle of sort of uh, the resistance liberal uh, kind of current within American politics. Oh, I think that's real optimistic. But go on. I mean, like as far as like as a as a serious political force, right? Because 2018, like that was that was sort of the big thing, right? And the disappointment of that has had probably and and also in 2020 and with Biden winning has essentially demobilized a lot of that. 
So I don't yeah. know. It's it's tough to say where like where this is gonna go. Like as it is, this isn't like a red wave. Like this doesn't look like 2010. This doesn't look like 94. Like none of this looks like the electorate is particularly punishing Biden, despite you know all the attempts to do it. Like a lot of a lot of the the House pickups that the Republicans are picking up seems to largely be due to gerrymandering being completely legal. Right. I, w- I wonder how much, um, because people weren't pulling on it like too heavily, but I wonder how much uh, the the um, the abortion issue actually is like like was driving people. I, I saw one thing that said like thirty six, like a plurality of people going to the polls in Pennsylvania in the exit polls were saying that it was it was uh, their top um, like like the, the the top issue for them. So, yeah. I'm wondering. I'm wondering how much of that stuff like actually did actually matter, and how much of it is 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 not mattering. Oh, I mean, like, and, and as it is too, the the exit polls, the Pennsylvania exit polls. I saw like 55% of the respondents said that Dr. Dog Torture hadn't lived in Pennsylvania long enough to adequately represent the state. So right, right, yeah, exactly. You like that one, did you, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You're literally killing me over here. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, looking at it, like there's like obviously, like honestly, the for me the one to watch, like at this point, it looks like the fulcrum is going to be obviously going to be Georgia and Wisconsin, right? I think the Democrats at this point have a couple more paths to to holding control of the Senate than the Republicans have to taking it. Um, like they've got a couple more options. Obviously, we're waiting for Nevada too, right? But I am a little less like anxious about Nevada because because of culinary two two six. I mean, they have basically been all in out there, and and Cortez Masto is not, by all accounts, a, a bad senator. So we'll see what's happening. I mean, as it is, Chuck Grassley, you know, is in the fight of his life at the moment. 44% of the vote in, and he's only up, like, four points. There's right, and, and Arizona looks like uh, like Kelly so far, so far, is 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 handling uh, Masters pretty well. And not just that, too, the the fucking insane asshole that's in charge. I'm sorry, that was that was not necessarily the, the best choice. The the fucking reactionary asshole that's that was running for governor, uh, Kari Lake, I mean, so far, she's down by 11 points. Like, she's trailing by 100,000 yeah. votes. Now, obviously, it's only 40% of the votes in, but... Hey, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll definitely take it, too. I mean, she's, uh, you know, her, Mastriano... Um, LePage is trailing in, in Maine, which is huge, because yeah, Christ, LePage, he's a fucking uh, asshole. LePage is horrible. LePage is, yeah. like, one of the worst... One of the yeah. worst was, I mean, he he hasn't been for for a while. But but the thing up in Maine is that um, Mills, uh, the uh, the governor who came in, who you know there there are obviously uh, issues uh, with her, but um, she she pretty handily beat him uh, the first time, and then I think I think dealt pretty well with. Uh, with COVID, all things considered, and I think that for a lot of people, they were just kind of looking at 
how how that went down, and, and you know, it's just kind of like, well, do you really want to go back to uh, to having LePage in charge, saying like all the like insane things? I mean, I'm not gonna like repeat any of the stuff, but if you're interested, just Google like LePage um, LePage drug dealers. That's a good one. Oh, there's there's any number of choice quotes that you can like, uh, just genuinely objectionable things that LePage has done, right? I mean, like, and the thing like is, like over the top racist, like really, yeah. really bad. Yeah. I mean, LePage benefited from something that yes. he did not have in this race, and that something is Elliot Cutler. Yep. Right. Uh, so in Maine, if folks don't know, the two times that. Um, LePage ran for governor of Maine. Uh, there was a third. There was a third candidate, uh, Elliot Cutler. Who, I mean, I would say maybe a little to the right of the first candidate that ran against LePage, and maybe a little to the left of uh, Michael Michaud, who ran against him uh, the second time. Um, but he got, I think it was Shelly Pingree who ran against uh, LePage the first time. Yeah, it was Pingree. So he, I mean, sure. he finished second, almost actually beat LePage the first time. And then the second time, Cutler just purely played spoiler, right? So uh, without that, you know, LePage was shown for what he is, which is like, you know, like the luckiest uh, politician on the planet, right? So well, Yeah, I don't think he ever won a majority. No, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think... That's good. Uh, Virginia's second district, which uh, was recently redistricted, it was centered around Virginia Beach and Norfolk. Uh, that's right, folks. For anyone who's listening, it is pronounced is not pronounced Norfolk or is pronounced Norfolk. Uh, it looks like she is going down again. Moderate veteran, you know, any of the Ilhan Omar, like, you know, bad faith campaigns that folks like Josh Gottheimer put on. Elaine Luria was one of the first people to sign on to it, right? Hey, well, guess what? Uh, she is down right now by 10 percentage points with 83% of votes in. And the biggest share of remaining votes is in Virginia Beach. So I feel comfortable saying that Lori is cooked, right? Same. I mean, uh, is I think, um, what's her name? Uh, CIA agent lady. Abigail is going to win only because, again, right? Republicans ran somebody that is just so far to the right on abortion. But again, Abigail might not be so lucky the next time, right? Chipping away. Yeah, well, the, I mean, but the thing, the thing about Spamberger is, though, that, like, from what I've seen, she doesn't really seem to have any uh, political beliefs. 
And she does it. And, and she and she just kind of like, you know, gloms on to like whatever is going to work, which, you know, for, oh, no, she's and, a, for a while. She's a company that woman. Work. Yeah, that'll she's work. She's a company a woman. That's yeah. a double entendre for those paying attention out there. Right. Well, um, we just have one thing we haven't talked here, about guys, is, uh, but yeah, one, one thing, yeah. Uh, New York. Yeah. Let's, so let, yeah, let's, let's end with New York because it looks like there's, uh, some, um, good news there for people who are not fans of Lee Zeldin, who looks like he's last time I checked, I'm going to look at it again, but it looks like, uh, Hochul's got this. Destroyed. I mean, Just uh, she's, she's up by fucking 20 percentage points. Like, like she's got this 40 votes in, uh, 40% counted. I'll just say this. It was even a question is an indictment on, on Hochul's campaign. Well, no, I think it's more it. Like I get newspapers have to sell copy, right? But I think at a certain point when people started talking about Kathy Hochul, like, you know, being uh, in trouble. I'm like, I was literally just in upstate New York, like a couple weeks ago. And I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, downtown Syracuse or nothing. I was in Broome County, Binghamton. Uh, You would be hard pressed to find Zeldin signs in 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 the southern tier like in the larger cities i just never understood where the whole she is in trouble narrative came from other than folks need to sell copy i guess but this is a no no, no, i i i think it's more than that i i think that there is like this narrative is you know obviously being like talked about like a lot of media uh, are located in New York, in the city. A lot of a, a, a lot of people uh, who like like you know are talking about this stuff on Twitter, talking about New York politics are in the city. And I think that a lot of people in the city kind of look at the rest of the state and they think like those are a bunch of dumb rednecks who are just going to like like just straight up vote uh, Republican. And so any kind of like evidence. Of of shakiness, uh, of of you know, for for someone like like Hochul here, they were just like, well, that's it, that's it. The entire like upstate New York is going to come out, and they are just going to uh, to vote uh, for 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 Zelvin, and then that's what's going to happen. But yeah, like you like you're saying, like if you actually like stop and think, or if you actually like spend any time like going around like upstate New York. It's not a monolith like that. Like there are like very, very, very deep red parts of it, um, but you know, like that that this really should never have been particularly close. Now I'm saying that now, um, but you know, like I, I certainly like bought into this a little bit, even though uh, I've I've lived both in upstate and in the city, and you know, I, I realize that upstate is not the monolith that I think that it's described as a lot of the time. But I think that that is like a lot. I think that there are. I think that there is like a little provincialism. On the part of people who are in the city, in the way that they kind of think about the rest. Oh, of the absolutely! City. New yeah. York City yeah. pro- provincial? I I never would have I never would have said such. Now I'm looking at the chat. Right. So, uh, Lunita, uh, where in upstate New York are you? So I know, 
I know Ian's from. Uh, I'm from the Berkshires, which is like right next to. Uh, so I know Ian's from Cortland County. Uh, oh, Ian you're from Ulster, Ulster County. Yeah, so sort of towards downstate. I mean, I guess. I would consider Ulster County downstate. Uh, of course, people who live uh, below the people who live below the Tappan Zee uh, would probably say it's upstate. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I I think when you get up towards now, Cortland County, Cortland County is sort of like a. There are some races where it's really blue. Um, I don't think it's gone for a Republican for president at this point. Since so four, I think. Um, but, um, but yeah, like it'll probably be blue tonight for uh, governor. But yeah. Um, so I just, I just want to flag just two, one uplifting, one and probably this is the funniest possible result of the night. So the uplifting result is uh, the no constitutional right to abortion amendment two in Kentucky. That's going down, looks like in flames. Awesome. Um, so hopefully that can turn out like the effort to enshrine the union shop in the constitution in Michigan that went down when labor overreached, unfortunately, and then got uh, the open shop uh, uh, passed, uh, just ran through the legislature in response. So this is, this is the funny result. Um, this is amendment one in North Dakota. Oh God. (laughs) Basically they're term limiting. uh, Huh? What would it do? Sorry. I think you were just about to explain it. Uh, Amendment one in North Dakota, it would term limit the governor and the legislature, it's going to force something like two thirds of the government into retirement as of the next election. And it is, and it has been called. Two thirds. <laughs> like we're talking 66, 33, like 62, 37, like they're fucking toast. Basically the entire like elderly political class of North Dakota is wiped the fuck out. I'm also seeing now, that in, in, in D.C., uh, increasing the minimum wage for tipped employees has passed by uh, uh, almost 75 to 25 percent. So that should oh, be no, that. The, the, that should be that. that should be that. There shouldn't be again. any problems with that. Like, that should just pass. Um, I'm not, I'm, I, there, there's no possible way that the, uh, the city government would overturn that. It's certainly yeah. not twice. Absolutely right? not. No, no. No, I mean, I will say this. So I, there was a period where I worked in the Missouri State uh, Missouri State Office of Budget and Planning, and it was the last legislature before term limits hit in Missouri. Um, so you were limited to eight years in the House and eight years in the state Senate. Um I am personally opposed to term limits for every office except president of the United States because I've seen what happens when you introduce term limits into state 
politics and the results are rarely good, right? So yes, it is kind of hilarious that, you know, folks that have been in uh, office probably since, you know, the days of the IBA and the NPL are going to be termed out of office. I don't know if that's a win for North Dakotans, though. Oh, probably. Oh, it's almost certainly not, right? But it is also it is just really, really funny. It is. I would agree with that. Well, all right, all right, guys. Well, let's um, let's close it out here. Uh, where where can people find you guys? Uh, 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 let's do uh, Douglas go first, then Brian and. Um, where can people find you online on social media and where can people uh, follow your work? So, I mean, I haven't written in a while. Uh, starting to sort of get back into it the less time I spend on Twitter. Uh, but my Twitter is still active, of course, and I am Class Huggle on Twitter. All one and, word. And I am at Cato underscore of underscore Utica on Twitter. I'm locked at the moment. Um, and you can, and we also are editors for strike wave. You can find that at the strikewave.com. Um, as well as if you want to read our, our older work, uh, the Um, there's some, some real gems up there and a couple of stinkers. Um, the ones that suck were written by Doug. Um, Good smackdown well, this is Huh? A good smackdown of Chris Hayes from like seven years ago. Six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a couple of people there's a couple of people who who we are very friendly with at this point uh, who ended up on the wrong end of us a couple of times. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was I think when I first uh, encountered you guys was was that article which was great. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, well. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, again, uh, if you're listening live or on replay on the app, please be sure to follow, like, subscribe the show. Um, but if you are listening on uh, replay on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, please be sure to subscribe, like, rate, whatever the, the words are for that. Uh, we will be back later this week and uh, probably do like a little bit more of a comprehensive uh, overview of, of the results. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see you then. Uh, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Douglas. And thanks, everybody. Yeah, now, hold, hold. And, and thanks, George, for contributing to the, yes. the North Carolina discussion early on. That's right. And George as well, frequent guest and, uh, and 